Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of Video Game The Movie The Podcast. This week we are talking about Resident Evil. Resident Evil. Resident Evil. Let's go! The 2002 Paul W.S. Anderson, not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson film. Yes, you see, Paul Thomas Anderson is a good director. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Paul W.S. Anderson made Mortal Kombat and Resident Evil. So we're turning back to a family favorite here at Video Game the Movie, the podcast. Yes, we have a returning champion. The reigning king of video game movie adaptations. Somehow, Paul W.S. Anderson. So, Resident Evil. Do any of us have significant background with this game series? I will start off by saying I have only watched Nathan play some of one of them and tried to play the original, but the tank controls were so horrible, I gave up in the first room. That's totally fair. That is a valid experience that many people have. (laughs) I experienced a form of horror, but it wasn't the form that I think they were going for. I have played the first three games in their original formats, and number five, which came out uh, much later, five was on the PlayStation 3, and is not that good. I have also played the... I am in the midst of playing the remade number one, which is based on a remake that came out on the GameCube in 2002, the same year this movie was made, actually. And it's really good. The the remaster is kind of amazing. Lexi, have you played any Resident Evil? (laughs) I have... So, I have seen Conan, you know, the, the talk show host. Oh, yes play a little bit of Resident Evil 6 in one of his episodes of Conan play tries to play video games and fails terribly that that's it that's that's what I've got uh I I saw a little it's part of the beginning of one of the later Resident Evil movies like a really long time ago there were a lot of bullets there were swords that collapsed into nano suits and someone rode a motorcycle on the side of a building but that's also she might be a vampire i had no context for that and i still don't know what that's about totally wasn't this fair. movie <laughs> no it wasn't the first one we can get into the differences between this movie and the actual games later on uh, but to summarize the games and let's right be clear top, by the time the movie came out we were already up to number three plus Code Veronica. Yeah. So yeah. there was like four and a half games in the franchise by the time this movie came out. 
Yeah. I don't know if that's an incredible name, Code Veronica, or a terrible name. I don't know about a terrible cover. Well, there's also Code Veronica X and Revelations and Revelations 2 and Resident Evil Zero and Operation Raccoon City. Oh, yeah. Raccoon City (laughs) is a terrible name that I hate. I despised it in the movie. So I'm guessing you won't sign my petition to have Toronto renamed to Raccoon City. Dumb. Well, okay, but in that case, it's like in the context of Dumpster Raccoon. It's like, eh. Wouldn't it have been great if this movie was shot in Toronto? <laughs> anyway, um, so the games consist, uh, they are kind of the progenitor of the modern survival horror game genre. They were made by Capcom. The first one came out in 1996, and they consist of one of two main characters that you choose at the start of the game exploring a usually confined space they're very claustrophobic games and you encounter zombies and other mutated creatures that you have to either escape from or defeat while you collect objects that are used to solve puzzles well, you unravel the mystery of what happened in said location. In the first game, it's a mansion on the outskirts of the fictional Midwestern city of Raccoon City. Uh, in the second and third games, they branch more out into parts of the actual city itself, and eventually you start exploring the secret lab facilities of the Umbrella Corporation, which, spoiler alert, we're going to get into all of the plot details, and since these games are kind of built as mysteries, I'm going to give you a spoiler warning up front. But also, these games came out in 1996, so, you know. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. But there are remakes that came out recently of the second and third games, so there are probably people playing them for the first time. That's fair. Anyway, the overall plot of the story, aside from that gameplay bit, is that there is a pharmaceutical corporation called Umbrella that has been experimenting with a compound that they call the T-Virus to attempt to resurrect the dead and do other (laughs) crazy super soldier experiments on people and animals. And a sample of the virus got free and infected people at one of their secret lab facilities, which eventually spreads to the whole of Raccoon City. And you play as one of a member of the Special Tactics and Rescue Service, STARS, which is sent to investigate a series of murders along the outskirts of Raccoon City. So Wait, so you, you go in completely unrelated to, you know, the zombie apocalypse? Yeah, well, because it hasn't happened in the first game. In the first game, mm. uh, there are two stars teams that are sent in to investigate these disappearances and evidence of, like, cannibalistic murders. Uh, one of the teams disappears, so your team goes to find them, and you follow them to this mansion that is full of zombies and crazy monsters, and you have to just piece together what happened based on bits of lore that you find around the mansion and brief encounters with other members of the stars team. Gotcha. But if you're ignoring that, the like overarching plot is not dissimilar. Like the the, the overarching beats of the like plot are actually pretty similar. 
to what this movie yeah. is. It's in the details where things go a little bit off the rails when it comes to Resident Evil. Yeah. Do I, we want to get into that? I would say the primary difference is that the games are, on the whole, they skew more towards horror. They're all about managing your resources and knowing when to save because saves require an item. You can't just save anywhere. And preserving your health items for when you really need them. Whereas the movie is more of a sci-fi action movie with a light painting of zombie horror elements. You see, I think I think it gets there by the end, but I don't think that's yeah. how the movie starts. So does somebody want to summarize the movie? I could do that. Yeah, Lexi did it last time. You can uh, give it a shot and I'll get next time. <laughs> All right, so Resident Evil 2002 begins with... The best scene in the entire movie, probably, which is you open in this uh, what appears to be a skyscraper. There is a lab facility there. People are doing some work. And then you get a close up of a hand taking a viral sample from this table and throwing the vial so that it smashes on the floor. And then we follow the fumes of this compound as they escape into the air vents and get spread throughout the facility, which is followed by a series of shots of a camera uh, identifying rooms where the virus has escaped into and closing the doors and locking them down so that the people inside can't escape. And it does things like flood the rooms using the sprinkler system, and it traps people in elevators, and there's a woman that gets decapitated by the elevator because she's trying to climb out when it starts up and gets her head cut off, which you don't see in its entirety, but it's still a pretty like, gruesomely implied yeah. shot. Um, and there's just pandemonium and scientists and lab assistants are running for the doors but the doors are all sealed and i think eventually there's like a gas that gets released it, basically everybody dies and then we cut to uh mila jovovich's <laughs> character naked in a shower like getting up scene. from the floor can, can we get and she seemingly for... has no memory <laughs> You don't have to get super detailed in each scene. We're doing the overview. Oh, here. no, I, I know. Okay. I know. I'll, I'll get there. Okay. Uh, so Mila Jovovich's character, whose name is Alice, although I don't think we ever hear that voiced over the course of the entire movie, but I may I have had absolutely it. no idea. Yeah. Um, I never knew her name. <laughs> uh, she has amnesia, and she is encountered by a team of security operatives and some rando named Matt, who claims to be a police <laughs> officer. I had to double check on the Wikipedia page what his cover was, because I could not really understand what he was trying to get across in the movie. Uh, so they're there because Umbrella Corporation sent them to investigate this lockdown, and the lab facility that we saw is underneath this mansion that she lives in, and they tell her that she's a special operative who is... Uh, assigned there to protect this secret entrance to the lab. With uh, her husband. With her fake husband, who is also an operative. Uh, but they definitely boned because she starts to remember things throughout the movie. And like the one thing that keeps coming back to her is that she totally fucked this guy. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so then they take them to the facility underground, which is the lab that we saw initially. The 
skyscraper images were just uh they're displays that are put there so the people working underground don't feel like they're underground um it's one of the best little bits of like anti-capitalist messaging that comes up in the movie that like oh yes we put them in these little boxes underground but then we give them a window so they don't feel like they're trapped uh anyway the movie proceeds from there with them uh going about the cop oh the cop gets brought along yeah yeah but you didn't mention him I yes, yeah, did. did. Oh, he did. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Sorry, I missed that. He, he gets strung along until they can figure out whether or not he's a cop because he says he's new and they don't know if his credentials will be in the system yet. So they have to just bring him along. Uh, yeah. So they go through the facility. They're trying to shut down the Red Queen, which is an AI operating system that runs the facility. Which the facility is called the Hive because it's beehive shaped. Uh, they. So they get to the Red Queen after suffering some casualties because the Red Queen does not want to be shut down. And the Red Queen tells them that they can't shut her down because they don't know what's going on and she's keeping things in check. She's keeping things from escaping. Uh, but they shut her down she's anyway. She's extremely vague about it. Y- yeah. <laughs> she doesn't explain anything. <laughs> Which you'd think that as a computer, she wouldn't have any impetus for keeping secrets, but whatever. Uh, anyway, she gets shut down, and all of the lockdown procedures are lifted, which releases all of these zombies, because all the people that got killed in the opening are now zombies. And then the middle chunk of the movie is them trying to escape from the facility without getting killed by zombies, because uh, arbitrarily there's like a one-hour window in which they can get into and out of the facility before the surface entrance gets locked down permanently. Well, it wasn't arbitrary. It was established at the beginning of the movie that they had three hours total, and they had their watches synced to it. Um, and you keep seeing them check their watches and stuff. It seems like in it's like a you have three hours or we shut it down and leave you for dead, just yeah. in it's case. A, Fair in enough. universe security system, which tracks with the, all of the other security systems in this laboratory. Yeah. So the other thing going on is there is a test subject that I had to look up in the Wikipedia page what it was called, because I assumed that they were referencing the Tyrant, which is a mutant from the games. But no, this is the Licker, is what it's called. Uh, There is a mutated subject called the Licker that has been suspended in this secure tank, but with the Red Queen shut off, it escapes. Uh, So they spend time getting chased around by that as well. Uh, you find out that Matt has a technician's sister that worked in the hive, and they were... The guy who claimed to be a police police officer. Yeah. And they were trying to get dirt on the Umbrella Corporation's secret experiments so they could expose them to the world, and Alice finds out through returning memories that she was the sister's contact in Umbrella Corporation, this doesn't really go anywhere. It's just kind of a thing that happens. Uh, and then one of the other security team members gets bitten, and they decide to go back to the Red Queen because they need to figure out what's going on, and with the security system locking down soon, they want to find a faster way out of the hive. So they go back, they rig up a remote shutdown, and then they turn her back on, and she's like, I told you so. But she agrees to help lead them out, and 
Oh, I think I completely forgot. There's another character that joins them just before they enter the lab who also has amnesia and is Alice's partner in as an umbrella agent and their cover is that they're married. Uh, they find him on the train when they're going to the underground facility. He's around this whole time. It's important coming up. This is a very messy summary. I'm so sorry. But the movie is... I think it's like 10 minutes long. (laughs) Way more complicated than it needs to be. Um, Long story short, after most of the team members die, Alice and Matt and one of the other team members, uh, I think played by Michelle Rodriguez, who got bit, um, they get trapped in a room after discovering that the husband, whose name I don't actually know, uh, was secretly the one who dispersed the virus all along. He had, in an effort to make uh, his and Alice's lives better by stealing the uh, virus and I guess selling it on the black market or something, uh, he wanted to like run away with her and get away from Umbrella is basically the idea. So he stole the virus and released it in the lab so that they would be able to run away and there would be this big distraction. Uh, but she obviously doesn't want this because she's like a reasonable human being and also was trying to help expose Umbrella in the first place. He spied on her when he was having that meeting. Oh, that's right. And he decided the reaction to oh, my wife seems to be trying to bring down a megacorporation is, I should just steal from the megacorporation. That's clearly all she cares about. (laughs) You can tell from this summary that the movie has more going on in it than it needs to. (laughs) Anyways, at the end of the day, Uh, they escape from the lab. Everybody but Alice gets murdered, except for Matt, who gets kidnapped by Umbrella, and then... Because he is infected with a new strain of the virus. He gets gets scratched by the liquor, and that causes him to start mutating. So, yeah, the husband gets... the husband gets infected after he turns on the rest of the team and tries to escape with the cure. Um, but they catch up with him. They kill him as a zombie. They escape onto the train. But the team member that got bit turns and tries to attack them just as the liquor appears. They fight them off and then they get to the mansion. But just as they're about to escape, Matt starts to mutate and the doors burst open and an umbrella recovery team in hazmat suits comes in and they take Matt away and they take Alice to be examined at the Raccoon City Hospital. And then, and people are going to know what I say when I say this, the opening to 28 Days Later happens. Alice (laughs) wakes up from a coma in a hospital and nobody is around and she walks out confused into the street to find that the whole city has been ravaged by a zombie virus and there are newspapers floating in the wind talking about the tragedy that happened and then she pulls a shotgun out of a police car and pumps it and that's end credits. And so we end the movie where we started with a naked Mila Jovovich. Yep. She's <laughs> confused in... and naked. <laughs> with an unclear amount of memory at this point. Now I'm going to put this I think this she remembers up... it at this point, but Yeah, I think know. all of her memories have returned by now, but I'm going to put this out up front. Mila Jovovich is Paul W.S. Anderson's wife. 
So this movie is basically, look how hot my wife is, the movie. Which seems to be his oeuvre ever since marrying her, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, but she also... spends the entire movie in a rather cool red dress. Like, it, it starts off just, like, needlessly sexy, where it's just, like, short red dress with, like, a side cape thing kind of thing, but in, in, like, leather boots. But by the middle of the movie, she actually looks kind of badass in it more than, I don't know. It's, I, I was I kind of liked it, but it was weird. Yeah. Like, there's less i think overall very sexualizing sequences of her than say tomb raider but the ones that are there are so much more intense that it's really weird yeah there's an actual tit in this movie yeah full-blown side tit but only the one full-blown side tit you don't get both so (laughs) one melon out of two um (laughs) is that your rating for this movie (laughs) that's my rating for the opening scenes um so what do we want to talk about first? General impressions. Okay. I felt like this was a decently constructed movie. I think it's probably on the scale of video game movies we've been watching. It's probably one of the better ones. I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed Spirits Within, but the soundtrack was fun. I think they did suspense really well. It's one of the things that they actually did well. All right, but I also don't watch horror movies, so I don't have much scale to compare to. So, yeah. It is I think pretty successful at its like tension building and its scares usually pretty good. There's like one or two moments where effects kind of get in the way, but that's, you mm-hmm. know, it's 2002. There's only so much you can do about that. I was really with this movie at the start and over the re- like the rest of the movie. There's not a sharp point where I like drop off of it or anything. It's just like it just kind of keeps losing me little by little by not building on that foundation it set at the start and by like Mhm. It, I, I want it to be better than it is, but I still think it's one of the most like capably put together things we've seen. Like it's it's an enjoyable movie. I see why it made money. I wouldn't like not see it in a theater with friends if they like asked me to go. Like it's fine. It's not good though. <laughs> yeah. So I shortly after watching this movie, I was just kind of shrugging at it and the longer i sat with it the less i liked it (laughs) because the thing that it fails at the most is something that i tend to value the most in movies which is the fact that the characters have no real personality and the biggest issue is that as a protagonist Alice does almost nothing, and she Mm. certainly doesn't grow or change at all over the course of the movie, because she ends it in the exact same place she started, which is confused about what's happening with no resources at her disposal. Including pants. (laughs) (laughs) And they don't utilize the amnesia subplot to any real benefit structurally. Like, there's just... All the mystery gets explained right at the top once the security team gets there and then continues to be explained every time a new mysterious element is introduced. And the characters never really react to it in a way that makes sense, with the exception of Michelle Rodriguez's character, who honestly would have probably made a more interesting protagonist. (laughs) 
I find all of the side characters a little more compelling than than Alice. Um, yeah, but like even comparing them to Final Fantasy, the characters in Spirits Within were way better fleshed out as just people, as personalities. There's none of that in Resident Evil. They're just like, yeah. they're stuck images walking around with guns. <laughs> well, I think part of the problem with how the amnesia is handled is that the characters are kind of underdeveloped and you don't have much sense of anybody's relationships to one another. So when you get these like flashes of her previous self, you don't really know how they impact anything. And they're mostly used to sustain twits twists that you aren't built to have had much pre-assumption about in the first place. Like Mm -hmm. it's kind of framed as a twist that Alice is the one who was the informant about the like, the virus, but we don't think that she's like a super dedicated umbrella agent before that because we don't really know anything about her. We don't have a like earlier assumption to like twist with that. So it ends up feeling kind of hollow. Yeah. But she's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> like the movie does manage its tone pretty well. It does build suspense pretty well. But when I don't care about any of the characters or what happens to them, all of that is kind of for nothing. Like this movie really wants to be like alien. Aliens, where you have this squad of characters and they're trapped in this facility with this unknown menace that is stalking them around. But first of all, the liquor doesn't come into the movie until like two thirds of the way through it, which structurally you'd probably want to introduce that threat at like the midpoint and then escalate it from there. But no, they don't do that. And secondly of all, the characters in Aliens are all really fleshed out human beings that you get a sense of who they are and what they care about and then you see them picked off one by one and it's terrifying. In this movie, is just some cool sequences in it, but overall it just doesn't leave much of an impact. Yeah, I realized last night when I remembered we were recording in the morning that I didn't really remember anything very well. So <laughs> yeah, I've gone over it again in my head since and I, I brought it all back, but it didn't leave much of a long-term impression, which is... is I think says something. Honestly, the biggest thing that I noticed was that just like how relatively diverse a cast it was and how very quickly all of them died off except for Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. And then eventually she ended up dying too. And it's just like, okay, so as expected, the white people escape and only yeah. them. Yeah, Although to the- be fair, only one person actually gets out alive fully. So I don't yeah, know. That's always the problem with diverse casts in horror movies is that... Uh- yeah. So uh, I do hold that um, the squad leader didn't need to get lasered. Didn't need to get diced. Yeah. So let's go over this. Let's go over the characters and their and their demises because I feel like that's the way to go at this. Okay. <laughs> Let me bring up the cast list because I do not remember anybody's names. Oh, I'm just referring to them by title. So yeah. uh, Alice, who we already discussed. Not much of a character there, but she makes it to the end, so she doesn't get a cool demise. She does a few cool kicks sometimes, where she, like, roundhouse kicks a zombie in the face, or, like, cracks a zombie's neck by, like, twisting it with her thighs. But she doesn't get to do a lot of that, which is too bad. Um, She killed a bunch of zombie dogs that one time. Yeah, the zombie dogs are really upsetting. They were horrible. (laughs) 
<laughs> the movie hits this point when the zombies start getting out where there's a scene where Alice starts doing like amnesia kung fu. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is where the film switches gears from horror to fun action horror. But then it kind of just goes back to being tense for the rest of yeah. it. And I feel like I would have enjoyed the movie overall a little bit more if it had decided to let itself be a little more action-y in the second half. There is this mm-hmm. tipping point where it looks like it's going to go full born identity on Alice's character, where she's just going to start remembering these insane skills that she has and using those to solve problems and defeat zombies and get through the hive. But no, it's just like that one scene. She roundhouse kicks a zombie dog in the face, and then it goes back to being this like relatively grounded sci-fi action movie. When she does a- use her skills, which I think happens more often than you realize. It's in the background, like off, yeah. like just off to the side of the camera. It's just like, oh yeah, she's fighting off zombies over there and no one really cares. She's yeah. never helpless, which except for like the very first opening scenes when she like is being dragged into a laboratory with no understanding of what's going on. She does like always protect herself pretty well, but she doesn't get a lot of opportunities to be cool until the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's Alice. Uh, Alice's husband, who is, like, handsome in a generic way. Played by James Purifroy. Uh, the character is Spence Parks. Yes, I believe I heard Spence said before. Um, so Spence is the guy they pick up on the train and t- t- virus a whole laboratory and had the antivirus, like, the whole time, but didn't remember it because he got nerve-gassed and didn't remember. Um, which is the other thing, is that they have the cure the whole time, but they don't. Yeah know it anyways uh spence is generically nice and fine until it's revealed that he's a huge asshole and he remembers he's a huge asshole and becomes a huge asshole for the rest of the movie (laughs) uh and he is messed up by the liquor which i hate i hate that name i hate it so much i can't believe that's the real name that's they awful. never say it in the movie for the record it does have like a prehensile tongue but like yeah Come on, guys. Anyways, he gets fucked up. Sorry. He gets fucked up by the the weird (laughs) mutant thing. There's like one or two too many dude characters lying around that I'm supposed to care about in this movie. Um, So Matt gets okay. Most of them get sliced in half. Yeah. Spence gets kind of thrown under the bus. Uh, Matt is the cop. Yeah. He's nice. He's played by Eric Mabius. He comes off as nice. Um, he's a pretty boy. Oh, he, that's 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 what he is. He's a pretty boy. I want to bring up a casting fact here because I thought it was hilarious. The second I saw him in my head, I called him Discount David Boreanaz. So for anyone who's familiar with the show Bones or the show Angel oh, or Buffy, yeah. He is the main character of Bones, who isn't the doctor, the cop, uh, and he plays Angel in the Buffy shows. He's like a kind of a B-list celebrity, generically handsome, but, you know, he's decent at his job. Apparently, they approached him with this role first. They wanted (sighs) David Boreanaz to play Matt. And that he turned so them sense. down so he could keep being an angel. So they got a dis- an actual discount David Boreanaz to play the character <laughs> in this movie. And I thought that was hilarious because that's the first place my brain went when I saw him. Honestly, same. I had a moment where I was like, is that? No, no, it's not. Never mind. 
mind, but I totally thought it was him. I yeah, grew up he, watching Bones. He is discount guy from Bones. Uh, <laughs> in the movie, he is like... <sighs> They don't get into it in a lot of detail, but, and we kind of glossed over this at the start of the description of the plot, but Umbrella is basically the mega corporation from WALL-E. Like, it seems to own everything and everyone's reliant on it. The opening scrawl is like, people rely on them for their tech and their food and their medicine. And I'm like, okay, that's a good way to make a monopoly, but their profits are yep. coming from military. And I'm like, you actually don't need to, like, I believe that they're also doing that, but that's not the way they get their profits. They are getting profits from the other stuff. I'm sure of that. Anyways, big evil mega corporation. The discount David Boreanaz is a part of the resistance quote, like question mark. At the very least, he's trying to stop the corporation from doing as many evil things. So like, good dude, I'm on his side. Uh, he gets licked, not licked. He gets cut by the lick boy. Uh, he gets scratched by the lick monster. The bad lickatung and <laughs> bad lickatung gets discount David Boreanaz on the arm. He starts spouting feathers, kind of like Black Swan, and then he is taken away from the movie and put in the Nemesis program. I yes, think they were intended they... to be tentacles. Also, is that what happens in Black Swan? I mean, only some of the time. Well, that movie is a trippy disaster. Yeah, the the name dropping of Nemesis in this scene is both shameless sequel bait and intense pandering <laughs> to the audience of the games because Nemesis is the subtitle of Resident Evil 3, which which was either just coming out or had just come out when this movie was released. I don't know for sure what the timeline was. And in that game, there is a mutant called Nemesis. That's the code name for the experiment that hunts you down over the course of the game and you have to keep running away from him. So I think the idea here is that the character of Matt is going to become the Nemesis later in the franchise. Uh, I don't know if that actually happens because I haven't seen any of these movies until now, but we'll see if we cover any of the later ones, whether or not that comes to pass. There's like eight yeah. of them, so I kind of, I don't, I don't, we're not making promises on that. There's like too many of these things. <laughs> yeah, the last one, the final entry in the series, only came out in 2016. Yeah, like four years ago at time of recording. Like, it was a 20-year franchise, almost. It's terrible. Yeah. I didn't realize um, it was done. Yeah, they do. They oh. finally stopped. Now they're making Monster Hunter, which we'll have to talk about if it oh. ever actually comes out. Yes. It's called The Final Chapter, so... It's a harder, <laughs> harder title to work your way around. So, do we have any strong feelings about Matt? Not really, I. Th but I do want to point out that he spends the vast majority of the movie in handcuffs, just kind of sitting off to the side. Yeah, he... <laughs> And I, I really missed how he got out of the handcuffs because I remember an entire sequence happening where he like dropped his keys into a grate. But then like the next scene, he's out of the handcuffs and I entirely missed the part where he got the keys back oh. and got out. Yeah. Yeah. So during the zomb when the zomb they first encounter the zombie horde and everyone's running around, he gets chased underneath like a some kind of metallic structure and but he's been spending he, he picked up the keys that had been tossed by someone and he's been working on this these handcuffs for like five minutes 
Like he he has them for a long time, and then he drops it down a grate while running away from a zombie, and he spends another like forty five seconds of actual movie kicking a zombie in the face while trying to grab these keys out of the grate, and then he un he immediately upon getting that unlatches them and pushes the zombie away. Oh no, it's on fire. <laughs> The zombie lights on fire first, and then he, once the zombie gets kicked away, he unlatches the handcuffs and puts the fire out with his hand. Excellent. And that, that's that's it. It Whatever. <laughs> it's a testament to how often confusing the editing gets in action sequences that I did not remember any of that. <laughs> I remember seeing him pick up the handcuffs, and I remember seeing a close-up shot of him dropping the keys down a grate while fumbling with them. And then I remember him just being out of the handcuffs next time I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> So that's Matt. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the other side of the spectrum, the characters who don't make it anywhere near the end of the movie. Squad leader Mick Dudeface, who seems like a nice enough guy. Yeah. So he's played, played by, by Colin Salmon. James Shade. Jeez. Oh, James Shade, the only black character. Yeah. He survives longer than I expected him to. Yeah. He... <laughs> There is at one point a tunnel. <laughs> he to wasn't get... the first to die. <laughs> He's not the first to die. The first to die is nameless no. Asian. The first to die is the Asian team member. <laughs> Asian lady, yeah. Uh, there's a tunnel that they have to go through to get to the computer. It has what they think are lights in it, but are actually death lasers. Yes, the Red Queen lures them into a trap, basically. With death lasers. I will. Th this was something that I thought was kind of neat, is that this whole sequence is a great illustration of how the AI learns, mm -hmm. uh, which doesn't go anywhere, because the AI turns out to not really be that important to the overall plot, except that she's keeping the zombies in check. But uh, they enter this tunnel, and a single laser comes straight down the middle of the tunnel, and they get out of the way they duck under it uh and then another laser comes and it's like higher up uh or no it's lower down to the ground so they like climb up to get over it and then another laser well, one comes. of them jumps and it cuts it moves and yeah, cuts yeah. Him in half. another laser comes and it's like low to the ground so the characters jump one of them jumps but the, the laser moves when he jumps so he still like takes the laser uh and gets killed and then it keeps escalating like that as they're like finding creative ways around them until the final beams that come out are just a solid grid of lasers that completely dice James Shade into little pieces. The effects on this are actually quite upsetting for the earlier ones where they're like, the Asian lady's head gets cut in half, and so she's like just standing there, and then her face falls apart, and mm -hmm. the other or guy- Her head slides off her neck. Yeah, her head yeah. slides off her neck. It's- it's, it's bad, it's, but like impactfully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of pulling imagery from uh, samurai movies mm -hmm. where that kind of thing will happen. It's like to illustrate the sharpness of the blade, the, the thing that they cut off like stays attached for a second before it slides free. Yeah, the 
The the only thing I have a problem with in this sequence, besides the fact that it kills a bunch of the diverse characters very early on in the plot, uh, is that if there's an entire grid of lasers as an option, that should really be your start, because that's guaranteed to kill everybody. If it's one laser, I get it. I get the learning process. That's more interesting. If it can operate eight lasers at different angles, I don't know why it didn't do that to start with. Yeah, but I also that's don't fair. understand why she didn't like contact them at any point before they reach her room or you know tell them what's going on before they turn her off or you know do anything smart and reasonable at all yeah she's modeled after a child apparently of the designer but that's not really an excuse it's just like her character model it's just creepy yeah Yeah, it's effectively creepy but it's also just like this is stupid why did you why is your ai bad apparently they added the like, quote-unquote character of the Red Queen in pretty late in the writing process as an homage Shows. to Alice in Wonderland, which, okay, the main character's name is Alice, and they're descending into this kind of nightmarish wonderland, I guess. But the, the references, it's basically just the character's name and the Red Queen, don't have any real bearing on the overall meaning of the movie they're just kind of there which i feel like is the case with a lot of elements of this movie (laughs) so yeah the squad leader was like helpful and helps to like explain things well and was seemingly a really good leader and then he gets diced uh there's also the guy who does computers uh who is i think probably the most interesting teammate besides rodriguez michelle rodriguez's character um his name's like van or something or cap uh, chad chad yeah. kaplan kaplan yes they, yeah. call, they yeah, call him yeah. kaplan for the movie they don't ever refer to him as chad that would have made me like him less uh, <laughs> played yeah. by martin cruz he he is the one who like gets them through the gate into the laser grid and then because he's the only one left behind i think he becomes like the highest ranking member of the team uh he is like very nervous about what's going on and reasonably like seemingly very scared but is always continually like going forward and like making doing his best to like keep everybody safe and you know he's not like backing down he's quite likable uh Mm. he gets left behind in a room full of zombies like near the mid end point of the movie and he's like doing a very heroic self-sacrifice if he can't get over the gate so he's just not like he's telling them to keep going so that he can so that they can get away even if he can't uh he gets away though and shows up later he actually saves them saves their butts by turning off the computer later and letting them out of the lab they were trapped in but then he just gets killed later by the liquor right he just gets ripped out of the train by the freaking monster and it's so disappointing because i liked him yeah yeah this this movie makes a lot of choices with how it ends the characters some of the more interesting ones because yeah kaplan and michelle rodriguez's character whose name i think is rain uh are actually Mm -hmm. two of the more interesting characters in the movie that actually have pretty definable arcs and they both just unceremoniously get killed in some way by the end of the movie let's move on to michelle rodriguez's character because okay we've been kind of dancing around her so michelle rodriguez plays rain who is the kind of hard-edged veteran sort of character uh she's she's so edgy and just like 
I'm a tough lady. That's it's yeah. a little bit. The writing's a little bit overbearing. Yeah, it's a little bit hacky. But I, have you seen I, Michelle Rodriguez in a movie in this era? That you've seen Michelle Rodriguez's character in this movie <laughs> for the first half of the movie. Yeah. She got typecast real bad. Yeah, it's basically the same character she played in Avatar, uh, except in Avatar in she like oh that one the, the, the James Cameron's Avatar. But in that movie, she kind of softens up and learns the like right side of history by the end of the movie and sides with the uh, with the Navi. Uh, mm. in this movie, I mostly she's playing... remember her from Lost. Yeah, she's also in Lost. Um, Does she yeah. also play a tough soldier in Lost? Yeah, but she has more character. She she kind of yeah. starts out similarly, but she Man, she is, really had and a she's kind of aggressive. Huh? But everyone kind of sucks in that show. So, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She um, so she's this kind of hard edged, no nonsense veteran sort of character. Uh, and when the zombies start coming out, she is the first one to get bit. She is the first one to find a zombie. She thinks that it's just a survivor so she tries to talk to this woman and then the woman gets up and like lurches over and attacks her so she like fights her off and then reaches down to like try and help her up and she bites her in the hand and in a zombie movie generally when someone gets bitten and there aren't really anyone other people around the kind of trope of it is this character is intuitively understanding that they are somehow now a threat they will keep it a secret like that's the kind of abcs of how you build tension in a zombie story is one person gets bit in secret and doesn't tell anybody else and then that creates tension for the rest of the story uh in this case they don't really know that the zombies can infect through bites. That's something they learn later. Uh, and she just straight up like tells everybody what happened right from the get-go. So everybody is choosing to t- to keep her with them, to keep her alive and to take her along, even knowing that at any point she could turn. And this is also before they have the cure or they know that there is a cure. So it's actually a really interesting subversion to the whole idea and she's like a really fascinating character in that when it gets down to it she is willing to let them kill her in order to give them a better chance of surviving Mm -hmm. which is basically unheard of with this character trope and yeah it's really interesting and then they get the cure and they try and give it to her and it doesn't take and she turns and they have to shoot her in the head as a zombie which is just such an unsatisfying ending yeah Especially after the moment where it's like they give her the cure and she's, you know, sitting on the ground and then it looks like she dies and yeah. she's like, I'm and, it, and they're just like, OK, now she's dead. And like, she's just kind of sitting there head hanging. And she had just said, like, you'll take care of it, won't you? To Alice. And then Alice is like, pulls a gun and is like ready to shoot her. And then suddenly she wakes up and grabs the gun and is like, I'm not dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's got this. Which awesome. I thought was a great moment, but mm-hmm. then she does die randomly in the fight, just off to the side in the fight, and it's just like, okay, this was. I thought she was going to survive the movie. Yeah, there was no reason for her to become a zombie. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez never gets to live to the end of movies, and it's sad. <laughs> Yeah, uh, she really needs a starring vehicle. She's a great actor. Uh, anyway, yeah, it, this movie makes several choices that just feel kind of wrong for the story that it looked like it was telling. It's also worth noting that at no point after they discover that the bite, the like 
infection is a thing, that they can be infected by the disease by bites and things. They don't ever have the discussion about Michelle Rodriguez's Mm -hmm. keep moving forward, which that it might have been nice. This movie doesn't take a lot of time to do soft talky scenes, I guess, but it might have been a nice opportunity for one. Yeah, the movie never really lets up with it's just like things are bad, things are getting worse, there's zombies, there's more zombies, there's tension. You have a few false jump scares, which kind of help the tension work, but it's still just tension. Yeah, it's... It's not bad tension, but it is mostly tension. Uh, it's build-release cycle works, but not in a particularly nuanced way. Yeah. yeah. It, it it's like knows... every third jump scare is not a real jump scare. <laughs> the movie clearly knows the techniques of horror, but doesn't seem to understand the successful techniques of storytelling, like on a very basic level. <laughs> on a filmic level. Yeah. On the technical level of like actually how it looks and how it's shot. Uh, it's got a couple weird edits, uh, a couple more than a few weird edits, but mostly that feels like lack of coverage kind of stuff, where it's, they didn't have the angles they wanted, or there was like a leg in it, and they just wanted to keep it moving at a good pace. And it does move at a good pace, like it keeps trucking. It looks really nice and sharp, like for the most part, like aesthetically, it's quite pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the effects mm-hmm. are really good. The sets good. were nice. The sets are really good. The zombies look really good in the close-up things. When it's a big crowd shot of them, they're pretty like, uh, just cover them in yellow makeup. It doesn't matter. We're not going to see their faces. <laughs> Do you want to know why that yeah. is? When they were shooting a lot of the zombie scenes, so they they hired professional dancers to be the zombies for a lot of the closer mm. shots because they have a lot of control over their bodies. And apparently Anderson told them to just move how they thought zombies would move. So there was some variety to how they actually functioned, like motor wise, which is neat. That's a cool idea. But then in the wider shots where they needed a lot of zombies in one shot, they didn't have enough dancers to cover all of the bodies they wanted in the scene. So they had crew members and some <laughs> of the like producing people that were on set just kind of stand in, like just do some makeup and just like be in the shots. Okay, so that's, that's why you fun. have this discrepancy. Be- it's a creative solution for sure, but that's why you have this discrepancy between zombies that look and move in very interesting ways and some that are just kind of standing around yeah and it is clear that they spent less time on the makeup for the crew member type zombie which is fine like if i have to like operate a camera later i don't want to be like oozing fake blood all day i get it uh that's the only like complaint i have until we get to the liquor which i really still don't like saying (sighs) it's not a good name it just doesn't roll off the tongue ironically (laughs) yep So the first shot of the liquor is terrible. It looks like garbage. Okay, the the first first shot, you get a couple vague close-ups of just an exposed brain in like a tank with tubes hooked up to it. And those shots look fine. But Mm -hmm. the first time you see... I think that was physical effects though, right? Yeah, that may have been physical effects. The first time you see it when it breaks out and actually moves (laughs) is very dated (laughs) CGI. Yeah, it looks gross. 
and weird in ways that are not intentional. But immediately after that, the next time you actually see it in motion, it looks really good. Like its motions are really good. The texturing works better. The lighting is really good. And then it cuts to security camera footage and it looks like trash again. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. This was hilarious. I think I actually laughed when we were watching this scene. So yeah, it has this very tense close up as the liquor jumps down and attacks somebody. And then kind of on impact, there's like a continuity cut where it cuts to the rest of the team watching on a security monitor. But there's this discrepancy between the effects from the close up to the broad shot where it looks like a completely different creature. Basically, it's so under textured and cheap looking. And just like the timing with the cut makes it feel like a comedic beat when it's clearly supposed to be more intense. And it also doesn't it doesn't help the tone bit that it is the villain at this point. So like yeah. seeing him get jumped by a weird tongue monster hits a bit differently than if it had been like Cap. Yeah. I think part of the difference in texturing is that pretty consistently throughout the movie, the cameras are of lower quality. They're kind of more pixelated. They are analyzing everything like with the pixel. It's very, that's probably the most video gamey part of the movie is the analysis of from the cameras where it's like identifying weapons and I don't know, blood type or whatever. I don't, I don't know heat, if I identified blood type, but you know, Red Queen. Yeah. That and, that and the mini map that keeps coming up. The mini map. Yeah. 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 So I think it's they're seeing it through this kind of video gamey pixelated thing. It looks I th- it does look much worse than it needs to to even in that context. But yeah. I think that I'll, I'll I'm handing them the benefit of the doubt for that. So the quality of the monster though does right radiate like pretty wildly on whether or not it looks good in any given sequence and between like sequences within a sequence it will it will look better and worse depending on a variety of things. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, which is fine. It doesn't like destroy the movie and it's never like so bad you wonder how they got it released. It's just like sometimes it's very clear what year this movie came out in and sometimes it's not. Uh, <laughs> other than that though, like it's fine to watch really. Yeah, it breezes by pretty quickly. There's lots of action. It's just kind of bright lights and shiny things without a lot of substance under it. <laughs> and if you're gonna watch that, I mean I guess this is the only thing in its genre we've talked about so far as far as like action horror um given that i guess it's the best action horror movie we've watched so far (laughs) but if you want to watch a paul ws anderson movie i think there's better ones to go for i would say mortal kombat is more fun than this if only because the the characters actually have some personality And if you want to watch sexy ladies do action stuff, just go watch Laura Croft. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I I definitely enjoyed Laura Croft more than this movie, but I do think this is a better movie than Mortal Kombat because I absolutely hated Mortal Kombat. (laughs) That is legit. Mortal Kombat's not good, but it's bad in a fun way, I think. Not for me. Okay. I mean, that's that's totally fair. People have different different mileage when it comes to bad movies. I definitely recognize how... 
Mortal Kombat was bad in a fun way for some people. And I do get mileage out of bad movies, but that was not one of them. <laughs> it's legitimate. If you want to remember what the very start of the zombie craze in the early aughts looked like, Resident Evil is your movie. Because this mm. is one of the, I don't think it's a progenitor in that I just don't think it's that important, but it is very early <laughs> in the trend of zombies being the thing that everybody obsessed with for a little while. Well, I think the games were probably more responsible because just the the first game, the first Resident Evil game was a massive hit, critically and commercially, uh, and like all over the world. So I think that was probably what started the public interest in zombie stories again, like after that whole kind of originator of it in like the 60s with the Romero uh, dead movies. And as far as zombie movies go, you can do a lot worse than Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fine zombie movie. It is perfectly mediocre. It's got some <laughs> decent action. It's fine. I wish it were campier. And I feel like I might enjoy mm. the sequels more because they might be more over the top. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember liking the visuals from whichever one involved a shiny, bright, and a suit where you she just... I remember her just pouring bullets into her wrist. <laughs> and uh, that that's that's something that I remember from that movie and I I think that's probably more interesting than this one. We Yeah. Unless I, we have a crowd demand, I am not watching the rest of these. Well, we'll see what the list says because we're moving chronologically, so I I we've made bargains. We're not watching all of the Pokemon movies either. No, but not all of the Pokemon movies were major theatrical releases. Uh, shoot me. <laughs> I got infected. Shoot me. No, it's okay. There's a cure. I was infected by bad movies and the cure was stolen by a generically handsome man. <laughs> Uh, so is there anything else we want to talk about or do you want to move on to some some fun facts i'm good uh just taking a look at my notes see if there's anything super worthwhile uh i do appreciate how anti-corporate this movie feels at the end of the day it's like dang capitalism sure did mess up yeah i just wish that were a more pronounced theme of the movie because it comes up a couple times and then it just the movie just kind of forgets about it yeah it wasn't something i really noticed throughout the movie it was just kind of like at the beginning in that voiceover and at the end for me yeah and the thing that you mentioned about the the windows I do feel like this movie would have been served better kind of shifting the whole structure like 20 or 30 minutes to the left because the way it's structured right now is you're almost like 40 minutes into the movie before the zombies actually show up. So you have this hugely long first act where they're just going through the hive and like wondering what happened and then they get to the AI and then they turn it off and then like that's when things really start to pick up in terms of the action. But I feel like you almost don't need the AI at all. You just give them a goal to be working towards in the center of the hive, and they encounter the zombies right away. And then the mid-act turn is the the uh, liquor being released, and then that is the, the big threat that stalks them through the second half of the movie, as opposed to him showing up like 40 minutes from the end. Yeah, the, I actually didn't even realize it was going to be a zombie movie until we dealt with the rogue AI subplot 
so early in the movie because I thought it was a movie about a rogue AI. Yeah. <laughs> and it, then it's just like, oh, it's not. Okay. I can totally see how you would think that because um, it spends so much time focused on, like, we need to shut down the Red Queen. I mean, not really. Yeah. <laughs> turns out it's not actually that important. It's Turns out shutting it down is kind of ruins everything. It's bad, actually. Yeah, I don't know why this movie is so determined to feel like an AI movie at the beginning for no apparent reason, especially if this was added late in development. Was this like a response to The Matrix? I have no idea. Uh, Potentially, I will. If we transition into fun facts, I can get into why this feels so weird as a Resident Evil adaptation. Yes, let's do it. Okay, so production on this movie started actually, or like the, the desire to make a movie of Resident Evil started as early as like 97, like after the first game came out and was such a massive hit. Capcom was already looking to get it turned into a movie, uh, which took a long time because they had a lot of issues in pre-production. They asked for a script from uh, Alan B. McElroy, who is a comics writer. He's worked with uh, Todd McFarlane on the Spawn series, is I think what he's most known for. Uh, But they didn't like that script, so they didn't go forward with it. Uh, And then they had this idea to approach an so upset that they didn't go with this version. They approached George Romero to write and direct the Resident Evil adaptation, and he was totally on board, and he wrote a script and everything, and submitted it to Capcom, and most of the people at Capcom were totally on board with his version, which was apparently, like, a lot more horror-intensive and more violent and closer to the plot of the game. It was, like, a claustrophobic horror movie where the main characters were like picking their way through this like labyrinthine mansion uh (laughs) but the head of constantin film which they were the film company that produced the movie the head of the company burned eikinger just decided that his script was bad and said that he didn't want to make it and i guess he had enough power as the head of the studio that everybody had to fall in line jeez and then in 95 Paul W.S. Anderson had made Mortal Kombat, and we've talked about that already. It's not a good movie, but it did make money, and it was pretty low budget. So this studio head saw that and was like, this guy can make a movie that makes money and doesn't cost a lot, so let's hire him. Which, like, is just so frustrating. And Anderson was really on board because he was a fan of the game, and he had kind of fan fiction style thought that it would be cool to make a Resident Evil movie. So he wrote a, an unrelated script that he self-described as a ripoff of Resident Evil called Undead. And that's oh what this movie is based off of. They just oh, retooled his script. Fucking um, Dirty Dancing 2 Havana Nights style and turned it into a Resident Evil movie, which is why it feels so weird and loose as an adaptation. Okay. I had to look up George Romero because I'm terrible with names and don't know who anyone in any industry is. He makes zombie movies. Oh, yeah. He's the guy who essentially (laughs) invented the modern perception of the zombie. So zombies as a cultural idea originate in uh, colonized African countries or colonized like slave states where 
where not like United States, like Haiti, I think, is yeah, where I think the Haiti modern zombie really comes from. Yeah, where a lot of the uh, folklore comes from. And in that case, in the original folklore, it's more of a like brainwashed, indentured servitude kind of thing. It's like, yeah. you know, yeah, being you remove a slave. the soul as the idea with a mm-hmm. with neurotoxin. It is yeah. like a manifestation of the being a slave. It has some voodoo background, that kind of thing. The concept got kind of rejiggered in the West by mostly by Romero. There were some earlier kind of living dead concepts, but he's really the one who codified what we understand as a modern zombie with the biting and the headshots and the infections and the, you know, zombie apocalypse uh, with his living dead series. If you're interested at all in where the zombie idea, like the pop culture idea of zombies started in the West, I highly recommend the original Night of the Living Dead. It still holds up. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie and it's not too intense. Like, I'm not the biggest horror person. I'm getting there. But the first Night of the Living Dead is not not that bad. Uh, it's, it's of its time. It's like the 60s. So you're probably, your mileage may vary, obviously. But for me, it wasn't like upsetting in any particular way. Also, so Black Romero Protagonist, should have... which is cool. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Romero would have made a way better movie. Uh, the, one of the main reasons that Studio Head didn't want to do it, aside from just not liking the script, was that everybody pretty much agreed that his initial script would have gotten an NC-17 rating, and Capcom mm. and uh, Constantin just didn't want to try and release an NC-17 movie to a, like a general audience because they didn't think it would make money. To me, that seems like a work with Romero to edit the script down a little bit thing, not a scrap the whole idea kind of problem. Because you can edit a movie down to R pretty well, and it was always going to be at least an R. Yeah, especially considering that this movie has nudity. Yeah. (laughs) Just kind of there. (laughs) Ironically, the initial cuts of... Anderson's version got an NC-17 from the MPAA, <laughs> so they had to edit it down. Yeah, so and, they were always going to have to do it. And he kept saying that he was going to release a uncensored director's cut of the first movie, and that just never happened. I would watch that. I, I am curious. Maybe it explains some of the points in the movie where the editing goes all weird. That's entirely possible. They may have been cutting around some of the more graphic stuff. Uh, the score and soundtrack were composed by Clint Mansell, Marco Beltrami, and Marilyn Manson. <laughs> yes, Marilyn Manson. It was the Ots, guys. Huh. I actually kind of liked... Uh, th- my, another technical problem I have with this film is that the sound mix is kind of terrible in that the score is way too loud sometimes compared to like the voices and then yeah. sometimes also the sound effects. It You can't hear what's going on a lot of the time unless you have it cranked and then the music is so loud it hurts. But the music itself, I think, works pretty well within the film. It's very of its time, but it fits that kind of life sci-fi horror action vibe they're going for. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was pretty like industrial techno kind of thing. Uh, Clint Mansell and Marco Beltrami are fantastic composers. Uh, Mansell works with Darren Aronofsky a lot. Uh, he composed the soundtrack for The Fountain, which is one of my absolute favorite film scores. Uh, so I'm not surprised that the music is one of the better elements of this movie. I was surprised to see Marilyn Manson's name at the end, though. I have no strong feelings about Marilyn Manson as an artist or a person. I don't know anything about him or his work. I just thought 
thought it was weird. I think our cat just sneezed. He seems fine. <laughs> I sneezed like four times before we started recording. Sorry, Tombo, I gave you a cold. Yeah. Uh, so you got any other fun facts? I do, actually. Uh, Roger Ebert put Resident Evil on his most hated films of all time list in 2005. <laughs> Describing it as a movie where, uh, quote, large metallic objects make crashing noises just by being looked at. It's not inaccurate. And on the other side of things, James Cameron named Resident Evil as his biggest guilty pleasure movie in 2014. (laughs) That tracks, honestly. Hey, James, you've made some of my favorite movies of all time. This ain't it, Doc. (laughs) But can you imagine James Cameron's Resident Evil? Oh, his Resident Evil movie would have been way better. That's basically Aliens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he would have made a much better movie than this. Say what you will about James Cameron, but he has yet to make a movie that wasn't good. People bash on Avatar, but... It's actually pretty good. Avatar is the rare kind of movie that while you're watching it, every time you're like, this is better than I remember. I'm really enjoying this. And then by the end, it's just like completely escapes your brain again. Yeah, I mean, James Cameron is just a really good like nuts and bolts foundational director but i'm not surprised he likes schlocky action movies (laughs) honestly he knows (laughs) very intuitively how to structure a movie and how to put character motivation and drama into a story but yeah uh there are some easter eggs referencing the games in the movie there is uh the opening or the ending scene is a reference to the opening of resident evil 3 where the main character wakes up in the hospital and like goes out into the city that's been overrun by the infection. There's the nemesis reference. It's also a reference to number three, which I pointed out earlier. There's a train in the movie that has Alexi 5000 written on it, which is a reference to the villain in Code Veronica. There is a train in Resident Evil 2, but it's called the Galaxy 5000 rather than the Alexi 5000. And the police car that the shotgun is in at the end of the movie has the stars logo printed on the hood, which is a reference to the, the search and rescue tactics team from the first game. Uh, another one, which is not a reference to the games, but in later movies referencing back to this one, there's a character in this movie who you never see his face, but he's played by Jason Isaacs. Wait, wait, wait. Jason Isaacs is in this movie? <laughs> yes, there's a doctor wearing a mask that has some dialogue uh, who's played by Jason Isaacs. And in the sequels, there is a character played by a different actor named Dr. Isaacs, which is a reference to Jason Isaacs having a cameo in this movie. Wow. Yeah, I, I saw him in the cast list and I was like, is this the same movie or is this one of the sequels? Because I've never, I didn't see him. Yeah, he, I guess he's just, that's wild. Anyways... <laughs> Uh, do we want to move on to our ranking of the of the film? One one more thing before we move on. The song that was remixed for this movie is uh, "My Plague" by Slipknot. Because of, <laughs> of course it was a Slipknot song that was remixed for the credits. <laughs> because this movie it was 2002. Is so thoroughly up its time. I cannot emphasize that enough. Anyway, rankings. Lexi, go. Uh, on a scale of on a scale of lick tongue being burned up on a railroad track to fountains of zombie blood, I give this movie a like well-oiled chainsaw. 
Okay. Solid. Uh, uh, also, minor point here. All the fire effects look like trash in this movie. Oh, it's Which awful. is wild. I didn't realize fire looked so bad in 2002, but it looks terrible. Nathan. Um, let's see. I should if... specify a chainsaw that isn't being wielded, but it is a well-oiled chainsaw. But it's oh. just over there. It's just like sitting yeah. in the garage. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on a scale from, let's say, on a scale from, if, 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 um, if Night of the Living Dead is like an A+, and the last season of The Walking Dead is like a C-, minus. I give this a Left for Dead 2. It's very solid. And I'll give this one trash panda out of a raccoon city. <laughs> So thank you for joining us for this week's video game, the movie, the podcast. We have... Did we introduce ourselves? I think we forgot to. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) All right, back to the top. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Video Game, the movie, the podcast. I am a host, Mackenzie Easton. All right, we got to do the whole episode over again. I am your second host, Nathan Bertram. And I am your third host, Lexi Conwell. Okay. And this week, we're talking about... We'll save that for our source code episode. I do want to talk about source code. It's not a video game movie, but it uses the structure of games. So it's fine. Mm. It counts. Anyways, thank y'all for joining us for this uh, episode of Video Game the Movie the Podcast. Where can we find you? You can find find take turns. I was taking a turn, but there's a delay. Fair. Um, I can be found at Conwell underscore Alex on Twitter or at Alex Conwell Creative on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Bert Nerdtram. You can find me at Kenzie Phoenix. The show can be found at VGTM Podcast on Twitter. Podcast. VGTM yes. Podcast. And that's it for... We still don't know 10, 10 episodes in. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at remembering these kind of things. But uh, thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon. Don't forget to, to, to shoot some zombies. Make Wash sure your hands. You, <laughs> make sure you have some ammo. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. Don't get infected. And don't bite people. It's just rude. Keep a green herb on hand, just in case. You never know. Might be a zombie in the next room. All right. Bye. Bye.